Gutterballs, the Lebowski Deepcast. Oh, it's a heist movie. No, it's a stoner movie. In each episode, Brad and Adam discuss a single minute of The Big Lebowski. Stoner bowling movie, period piece, western. Providing insight. Why is the half and half everywhere? It was open. Commentary. Got my half and half in the bowling ball. I'm going home. And conjecture. Did they have bowling in the Old West? That's one for the canon of the history of film. And now... So, we never talked about the song, The Man and Me, did we? No, not really. I think we talked about it. We talked about it in the first take of episode six, right? Yeah, maybe we did. Maybe it was the second take, which that's just bringing up a hellstorm of pain. For me talking about episode six i'd prefer not to revisit that at the moment All right, maybe by episode well, eight what i'll I be able to, to do, do that is just we i think we need to talk about that song song we have to we have to but i don't want to talk about it again but i, I don't see why we, I, it had to have been in the last episode because why we have talked about it beforehand but we didn't talk about it a lot um we, you know we made brief mention um it's a dylan song it's bob dylan well, we talked about what it could mean. Like, is it talking about the dude, et cetera, et cetera? Maude Lebowski. Yeah. Bowling is actually the thing that makes a man up. Anyway, I don't want to retread it. Well, we'll go over it again in this episode. It's a relatively obscure Dylan song, from what I can gather. I'm not the world's biggest Dylan fan. In fact, I'm really not... It piss everybody off now, but I'm not really a big Dylan fan at all. I, he doesn't offend me or anything. He's okay, but I've never, like, I was into classic rock a lot, but it's just an avenue I never explored. It's like Dead and Dylan, the two Ds. I really never went down those paths. So I'm just relying on, like, web searches to determine, oh, this isn't a song that is popular in the Dylan canon. You know, it's yeah. it's an it's a more obscure song. And um T Bone, what's his name? T Bone Burnett, the the yes. music archivist for this film. He didn't want to be called the music supervisor because he didn't want to be mistaken for management was responsible for securing the rights to many of the songs, including The Man and Me. Now, the only song he had trouble, I'm getting my information from Wikipedia, so don't judge me, but the only song apparently he had trouble securing the rights to 
was the Dead Flowers cover. And he had... Um, and I have to look up who... Who, who was the cover of that? It's It was a Stones song, but the version of the Big Lebowski was covered by... Stand by for just a second. I hear you tip-tapping away, type, 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 so yep. you'll probably get it before Well, I'm me. just trying to catch up on everything here. And another thing, just before I even get to that, just an aside, but I've I've discovered two references to the Big Lebowski being loosely based on Raymond Chandler's The Big Sleep. Have you seen yes. that? Have yes. you seen okay. that? So you're going to go there. I, I was guess. wondering I mean, I, about this. There's no rules. I guess we could talk about it now. We wanted to talk about, uh, you know, the man and me, but the big well, sleep. <laughs> I guess I get it. So I'm completely unfamiliar with the big sleep other than what I read on Wikipedia. Well, then you are completely informed. I'd say you're up to you're up yes. to snuff. I mean, it kind of makes me want to read the movie to see. I mean, I guess the big sleep has, you know, it's like a convoluted plot involving ransoms and yeah, you know, oh, she kidnapped herself, like kind of stuff maybe Maybe not literally that, but it has those kind of weird ideas in it. I mean, it's a, it's, a, but it's like a hard-boiled detective. Well, like it's hard for me to really like to really just accept that. You but know, I guess I'm not really qualified to say, which in turn probably makes me completely unqualified to be part of this podcast. But, but <laughs> I've never let that stop me before. But, but I guess, you know, I'm going to have to explore this novel more just to understand this. I mean, I think if we're going to be doing a deep cast into Lebowski. Maybe that's a homework assignment. It's going to have to be a homework assignment to, like, read that, that it's, book. It's, I have, and study I, this you know more. But it's really, it really twists my head. I'm going to tell you that I'm not, I can't confirm this. I'm going to go over to my bookshelf. I think I have that book on my bookshelf right now. Well, have you read it? I read some of it. It was assigned to me in a class, but I don't think I finished it. I think I just read the cliff notes and then faked it. Um, I'm looking through my books here. Pretty sure I got this over here. There it is. Big Sleep, Raymond Chandler, right there. There it is. There so, it is. Did, so I totally was not listening to what you're saying. Did you read it? I read <laughs> <laughs> I was too busy looking up the big sleep Lebowski stuff. Entertainment at business. its finest. I read a part of it. I read a, let me flip to a random page and see if it No, you know what? I read this. It was just like fifteen years ago. I did read it. Um yeah, it's Marlowe. It's Philip Marlowe who we know most famously portrayed by uh, Humphrey Bogart, right? Maltese Falcon, isn't that Philip Marlowe? No, I'm pissing every film buff off right now. I should not speak. I shouldn't say Humphrey Bogart and Philip Marlowe in the same sentence without checking my facts. I'm like the world's worst reporter. I'm like the dude of Private Investigators. 
Let's see. Uh, oh. it, well, it says here that. Um, Help me. The main character, Maltese Falcon, was Sam Spade. Spade. Oh, however, I've angered everyone. However, is widely cited as the crystallizing figure in the development of the hard-boiled private detective genre. Yeah. Raymond yeah. Chandler's character, Philip Marlowe, for instance, was strongly influenced by yeah. Hammett Spade. Yeah, I'm not totally off, but... you know, it's- Spade was a departure from Hammett's nameless detective, the Continental Op. Continental Op, okay. That's a good one. You know, the, the brother Seamus. What's his name? Um, the guy in the VW Bug who's like yes. following. He is a PI. So like they do have sort of a shout out, like an homage to the fact that they're, you know, creating an homage to uh, hard-boiled detective novels from the 30s and 40s and this this private investigator type uh genre i guess more genre hopping you know now it's a private investigator right. movie as well i mean is the is that where it takes in is it like turning it around on itself like you like oh here's a private detective story but you only see the detective at the end it's like well the dude is the private seeing, investigator he's the detective but he's he's clueless though the whole time he's bumbling around right. like all these clues but he, he can't make sense of them all. I, I can see it as a, yeah. you know, as a sort of shout out to those, but a completely modernized and absurdist version of it. Right. So in, in researching this kind of this information, I was I was led to um, <clears throat> the year in Lebowski studies, <laughs> which was a book. I don't even want to know what it is. In the beginning of 2010, and it has a bunch of, um, you know, academic essays about, um, you know, about the Big Lebowski, you know, kind of like they've done, you know, the physics of Star Trek and the right um, the philosophy of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And there's like another one, like the ethics of something, some other show, I forget. And then this this one is like you know yeah so this is I think I think in my I mind, told kind you of falls in that not to mention genre, although the just movies or television programs I think I've mentioned this before yeah. so that's yes. your final warning all right well you know it just exists in the universe uh, I, I'm not in, I'm not endorsing it I don't want to be in that universe. I'm not you know I'm not buying its shoes <laughs> I'm not I'm taking not it buying it I'm not renting its shoes. <laughs> It's not taking your turn, <laughs> but you know, touche. Anyway, touche. a review I read of this: the dude abides the or the Big Lebowski, um, the year in Lebowski studies. What was um, it was real? I've read a lot of really bad reviews that were just like, "Wow, this is like it's so pedantic and of the so movie? like it's just such a like parody." It parodies itself. It's beyond parody in terms of just the like stretches and the crazy academic language used here. But one clue into all of this is a title of an essay. And I'm not saying that I'm not even sure if this essay is in the book or not. But the title of the essay is like a tumbleweed drifting across a vacant lot. The mythic landscape of Los Angeles and Chandler's The Big Sleep and the Coen Brothers' The Big Lebowski. It's very similar. 
So they both are painting a mythic landscape of Los Angeles. Yeah, mythically bleak, almost. I mean, what we're going to... I mean, this is obviously going to be re- need to be revisited in full soon. Yeah, yeah. Maybe but right now, we'll I feel like Donnie... <laughs> You know, like a child wandering into the middle of a movie. I I don't know what the fuck's going on. I don't know what I'm talking about even. I am the walrus. V. I am the walrus. Lenin. Vladimir uh, Ulyevich. Well, I'm writing Chandler Bigsley, private investigator. We'll revisit that because... Yes. Clearly, we're both. With your permission, uh, I'm going to turn the wheel back to go ahead. the music question. Yeah, we went down a path there, but we're back now. Well, it's a very important path, and a path we are going to travel down again, without a yeah. doubt. We, we've made the first inroad into that nebulous territory. We'll come back to it. Yes, yes. The music. The so Man, the and, man me. and Me. Relatively obscure Dylan song. I've pissed off the, the film buffs. And the music lovers. Who can we yeah. piss off next? Let's uh, let's see. Let's find out, shall we? So why did they pick this song for the opening credits? Is there any meaning behind it? Does it just sound nice? Does it just paint more of a, a, a mood than anything literal in terms of the lyrics or the, the meaning behind the song? Well, the dude is a pleasure seeker. Now, maybe I'm just doing a surface thing here, but the man in me will do nearly any task. And as for compensation, there's little he would ask. Take a woman like you to get through to the man in me. I guess you can take that different ways, but to me it's like the dude's going to do a lot like whatever he has to to bowl to smoke weed drink white russians and get laid he's a pleasure seeker so this is saying that that that's first and foremost that's at the forefront of his actions you know he doesn't care about paying his rent so much the landlord's bugging him about that doesn't care about having a job so much Mostly about drinking, bowling, getting laid. He's a dude. So, but the the man in him. So, is the man in him the the part of him that that is seeking it, those things, or is the man in him something that rises beyond that? It rises, but it's his penis. The man in him is his penis. It's like he's the man, and then there's another little man. It's his penis. I'm just, t- I told you, I'm taking it surface. Right. A surface reading here. The man in me will do nearly any task. As for compensation, there's a little he will ask. Take a woman like you to get through to the man in me. Remove my pantaloons and address the man, the, the little man. Well, that's maybe for all he said. There's a little he will ask. He didn't say there's nothing I'll ask. A little compensation. He still wants a little compensation. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. (laughs) But if you consider that he's doing any task, like literally any task, 
Climb the highest mountain. It's not like Flight of the Concords. He's not going to be like, well, I'm not, I don't want to do that. He will do that. He'll do, well, maybe that. Maybe that's one of the ones nearly that falls any task. Nearly any task. So. Nearly. See, there's a lot of hedging in this. Song. Yeah, well, sure. <laughs> nearly any task. Well, there's a, there's a little bit. Depends on your definition of, you know, near, like how near do we get to the, the task? Well, that's pretty far away. Can you do the laundry? Well, you know, I said nearly. That's, you know, I have a list of non-negotiable tasks that I will not do. That That's on there. But I'll do nearly anything else. But if I do the laundry, so though, the you're going to address the little man and me. You're going to have a talk with that gentleman. I promise I'll stop talking about penises now. Oh no! Don't don't <laughs> stop on my account. But what, what? So, but what is the woman in the movie? If, if this song is even about the movie, well, right? Which I hate to even go that far, but it's kind of strange. You know, they pick this song; it's prominently featured. Yeah, well, they pick it because you know I I feel like they they thought the lyrics were particularly apropos. I mean, I. I you, you pick a song, sometimes you just like the cut of its jib. You like the way it sounds, you know? Well, that's what I'm saying. It's just the way it sounds. It I evokes don't, like, oh, it's like folky. I don't think so. I think that's why they chose Tumble and Tumbleweed. Although, as we've discussed, there are Tumbleweed-esque aspects to the dude. But yeah. And I well, think, there's a literal Tumbleweed on screen. And a literal well. Tumbleweed on screen. But it's just had that... That old-timey, again, more the contrast, like this is an old-timey thing, but we're in modern-day L.A., and they're, they're really pushing that. So I think that was more of a sound. Like, yes, tumbleweed, but I, I don't think once you get past the fact that the word tumbleweed is in the lyrics, there's much more to it. It's just, oh, right. it's a, how many songs about tumbleweeds are there? Six? Eight? Four? How many? I dare you to find out. But this 127. one... Well, somewhere between 6 and 127. But this song is more about the meaning behind the lyrics, I think. So is there a literal woman involved? Well, Maud, right? I mean, that's the only woman, really, that... I guess Bunny could be a woman. Yeah. Sort of. She's more like a little girl, but... But in, in either case, do they really bring out the man in him? I mean, Maud, I mean, I don't know. He kind of shirks from his parental obligation, which is fine with Maud. I mean, that's why she picked him. But Well, he shirks from his parental obligation, but he doesn't... I don't get the feeling that he's shirking from his romantic obligation. They consummated, first of all. Second of all, he starts opening up to Maud in a way that we don't really see him open up to anybody else. He's talking about his days back in the 80s, Speed of Sound tour. He's talking about the, what, the, San, the Seattle 7, whatever they were. Um, we don't really see the dude talk about his past except with Maud. So, you know, she does kind of have a way to... Uh, get in there and have well, him open up about himself. 
Yeah. When we get to that episode, we'll have to look at it more in depth. I mean, I would, I would, I really wonder at this point, without looking at that scene, whether or not the dude was being someone even self-indulgent going down that path with her. I don't know. I think so. She, I'm gonna. Well, so she, here's my theory. All right. Well, let's, you know, let's okay. hear it. I think. Yeah, okay. My theory. The woman is metaphorical. The woman is b- the bowling. Bowling. Well, one, as they're playing the movie, as they're playing the song, we're seeing the montage of everyone bowling. Also, bowling, I think, is the one thing the dude actually reacts to. It's the one thing he takes seriously. You know, I told him if it's during league play, then it's absolutely out of the question. You know, <laughs> that's that's their attitude. It's the one thing he takes. He seems to both he and Walter really take seriously. But at the same time, storm clouds are raging all around my door. I think to myself, I might not take it anymore. It's balls and rods, man. And what's he doing then? He's listening to he's listening he's he's going to put some headphones in listening to bowling <laughs> to calm the storm clouds. You're talking about when he gets his rug back. Yes. He puts in the championship round. Beautiful sound of the pins being struck. Okay. I'm uh, you know, I'm picking up what you're laying down. I mean, that's one one avenue to go down. Not the only avenue by any means. Huh. I mean, I tend to think none of... A lot of this stuff in this movie doesn't really mean anything. They were just having a good old time. But at the same time, I wonder. I'm afraid I'm so completely wrong about that at the same time. I don't know. Because why would you invest, you know, tens of millions of dollars into something in a year or more of your life? If it didn't mean anything, you want it to mean something, you know? Do we do we want to just, you know, make widgets, widget, 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 widget? Well, widget, I don't widget, think it's widget. a question of like a lack of meaning in the sense of it's widgetizing, it's commodifying the art. Although I think if for any major Hollywood film, which this is one, that's an element of that. You I have think to. right. It's more of a to. question of you know throwing the stuff up. And seeing what you know, it's experimental. It's abstract. But it's it's different forms and sounds and throwing it all together and plot elements and just kind of like finding out what's on the canvas when you're done, right? You just kind of put it out there and let it float and see what happens. I can appreciate that, but to me, a lot of that's going to happen during pre-production while you're writing the thing. You know, you're pre-visualizing the movie. You're, you have an idea of what music's going to be playing. You have an idea of what each shot is going to look like. You have storyboards. The whole thing is pre-visualized before you ever start shooting. So, I, I, I mean, I, there's a lot of creativity that goes into the edit. And then you probably do make choices that influence the music and take it in directions that maybe you didn't imagine but that's not to say there's not a vision for the movie that's very specific before you ever start production so i don't know i take i have an issue with that i i think they they were very particular and they they knew exactly what 
they wanted, and it probably diverged from that idea here and there. But I think for the most part, they knew exactly what they were doing, and they had reasons for doing pretty much everything. Well, like I said, I'm afraid I'm wrong, right? <clears throat> Maybe uh, what we need to do is, again, I think this is, and we've mentioned this before in a previous episode, like you know, the question of when they were making this, did they really know what they were making? Did they realize the magic? Right. Or is it something you only see like when you're done, right? And I think it's a question we're going to keep coming back to. There's no way they, they couldn't, you know, and you said this, but. You know, they didn't realize this was going to be one for the ages. You know, and maybe to some people it's not, but it's it's got a pretty sizable cult following. Here we are talking about it. Uh, we could have chose any movie to talk about, but this is the one. Um, but no, they didn't. They didn't know. There's no way you can know. Probably, you know, the room. Probably like this is the best thing that has ever going to have existed. Well, maybe to some people. Maybe I know a couple of those people. Maybe not. But I, I doubt the consensus is that. I don't even want to talk about the room. I don't know why I keep bringing things up I don't want to talk about. What I do want to talk about is this fella throwing the first ball down the lanes. He's wearing his khaki pants. He's got his white bowling shoes. These are not house shoes. These are his own shoes. Because, you know, the, the house shoes. Is that what you call them? House shoes? Uh, um, I think that's acceptable no nomenclature. All right. For the purposes of this audio recording program so it's not the preferred nomenclature but it is an acceptable nomenclature there might be a preferred nomenclature that's not that yes that is correct okay these are his though because they don't look like it's impossible not yeah. to jump forward, but we see the guy spraying all the shoes in this bowling alley, and they don't look like that. So he's got his own shoes. No. He's clearly a professional. He's he's the man who brings his own pool cue to the pool hall. He obviously yes. owns his own golf clubs. You know, he's got his own bowling ball, probably several bowling balls, depending on what kind of mood he's in. You know, if he's feeling saucy, he's got the one with the rose in it, like Jesus has. But this is the same guy. I'm going to say, as the man in the last shot of the movie who throws the strike as we cut to black. Could be. Do we need to bring that up? Well, what, an IMDB it? I don't know if that would do it. I would just bring up the end of the movie. Well, the problem, I've looked at this several times, but his face is so blurry. You know, he's out of focus, because we're focusing on the, the bowling ball here, or the golf ball rolling down the, the golf lane, that you can't be sure, but it's just the fact that he's wearing what I think is the same outfit. But maybe a credits list will tell us. 
because they had to hire a professional bowler to like, you know, sometimes they needed, if you're doing this, because this is a shot where, and who knows how they did this, but there's some sort of rig where they're dollying back. So he's got to, you know, roll it right down the center. It's got to be right there in front of the camera, probably at a very specific speed. You know, and there's probably some sort of protection on the front of the camera so it doesn't smash into it. But it takes a consummate professional to be able to roll it consistently right down the middle and at that speed. Yeah, so they had him on set. I am willing. I wonder what his day rate say, was. Having reviewed the footage just now that it is the same person indeed. 500 bucks a day? Where does he get paid? This is 98 thousand dollars a day two thousand dollars a day more. i mean five thousand dollars uh, extra walk on no, he's the guy that no, can no. actually deliver the strike on command yeah we need to make this count deliver a strike well i mean we'll, we'll get to that at the end the need for the strike but but yeah here we are that this isn't a strike but this is rolling it at a very specific speed right down the center and this is arguably Harder than a strike, because if you... This shot, where where this fella rolls this... Alright, you know what, it is going in a little slow motion. But I think that he had to take a little juice off this throw. And it's coming right towards us. And again, it's all timing. He's got to be able to match the speed of that rig, and the rig has to match him. There's an, there's an interplay between bowler and camera here that well they had to probably do you think rehearse before a lot. it cuts what happens though like before it cuts from the way right or more rather right after it cuts away what happens it probably hits the front of whatever protection hit, they had yeah but still it's you know got to be halfway down the lane the golf lane or more we could yeah you're probably correct on that we could judge this, this because is... there's those little arrows, you know, the little arrows they have there that help you right. or help me, someone like me, you know, aim the ball. Those are what, seven feet out, eight feet, seven feet, something like that. So seven feet, 14, 20, I don't know. Maybe it's not halfway. Maybe it's an, an illusion. Maybe it's only. I mean, it's really hard to tell, you know, uh... It's really hard for me to judge with focal lengths and what have you, yeah. possibly. Wide-angle lenses, exaggerating changing. distances. Yeah. Because also, I mean, if you look at those arrows, I mean, look at how elongated they are. Or at the very least, how far, the ones on the edge, how much further back they are. Yeah. I don't know. That, that seems like distorted to me. It's but without an actual bowling alley to compare... It, it is hard to say. Yeah, I, I think they probably used a wide-angle lens, and it's exaggerating distances. But regardless, he's got to throw this ball, roll this straight down the middle, right towards the front of the lens. And that takes some. You know, if I was doing, I wouldn't be able to do that. Now, I'll notice, notice also that here's another one, okay? So I don't know how much you know about bowling. How much bowling? Do you know anything 
about bowling? Are a you, little bit. Are you a bowler? A little bit. What do you know about spin? I'm aware of its existence. I know of its existence also. There are different types of spin. Um, so, first of all, there's... And there's also different types of cores inside the bowling ball, depending on what kind of core you want. And the core is intentionally imbalanced. So apparently what that does is cause the bowling ball, as you have thrown it down the lane, it is in a constant state of trying to correct its spin because it's imbalanced in there. They don't want it to be perfectly balanced. And what, what that does is makes the ball roll over a different point on the surface every time it revolves. So if you, okay. now if you have, and there's a couple things here, we see later on the Jesus and his partner cleaning their balls in the, the cloth sacks. There, we have a gif of this on the tumbler. Yes. They're cleaning, aggressively cleaning the balls. This is wiping off the oil. They oil these lanes. And so that's wiping the oil off the ball that accumulates as it rolls down the lane. This will affect your trajectory, your, your right. accuracy. Well, so, they need to eliminate all variables. They, they want do. only constants. Consistency. You need consistency. Exactly. Here. I mean, when you're working on their level, this is a highly precise... Every nuance needs to be accounted for. Every bit of it. So you clean off that oil. But every time you roll it, the oil accumulates because, you know, they oil these lanes. And if you examine, I guess if you have a really clean ball, you can examine the pattern that the oil makes as the ball spins and rolls down the lane so it it has different flares depending on how you roll it so if you consider the ball spinning and there are three axes there's a vertical which in my world would be the y-axis but in bowling vernacular it's the z so that goes straight up and down okay the x-axis goes parallel to the foul line. Over the line! Parallel to that line. And the y-axis goes straight down the lane. That's the y-axis. And so different bowlers have different combinations of those spins. Would you call it a bowler fingerprint? Yes. I would, as a matter of fact. I would call it a bowler's (laughs) fingerprint. Um, I only mention this because as you look at this fella, this professional bowler that they've hired for this shot, if you look at how the ball is spinning, it is only spinning along the x-axis the x-axis being parallel to the foul line so it's got forward spin only my point is that 
the reason they hired a professional is because <clears> they, <throat> di they didn't want this ball going off to a, a professional bowler has all these spins because he wants it to, if you look at a, I've watched some bowling in my time on ESPN. It just, yes. it just came on and I didn't stop watching it. Don't judge me. But they, they spin it. It goes forward. It's got some forward spin. It's got side spin. And then it's got that third spin. And it goes, flares out, almost goes into the gutter, and then comes back and strikes the pins from an, on an angle. They don't just roll right. it straight down the, the lane. And, yes. you know, it's just a better percentage, better odds of getting a strike. This fella has rolled it straight down the lane with only forward spin, which runs contrary to everything his muscle memory has learned over however many decades of bowling. This man is a professional. Well, why is his ball, why does his ball have no spin? Because it needed to go straight towards the lens of the camera. They were like, we need this to oh, okay. go right down the center because that's where the camera is. We can't be like swerving around all over the lane trying to find your ball. You need to follow us straight down gotcha. the lane. The man is good. That's wow. Right before it cuts, it does swerve. Sure. Look at like what lane it's in. So, so right before it cuts, it does start to swerve. And then... You know, when we cut to the reverse shot, what's going on there? It's it's going... Well, it's going the same way that it was going in the other shot, actually. Because if you look, just before it cuts, the ball is starting to travel screen right to screen left a little bit. It's starting to divert over there. And when you cut to the next shot, it's going screen left to screen right. But we are on the other side. So... I'd say that's a pretty good match. Pretty good continuity there. Yes. Although. Yeah, when you, when you see then the third shot, though, the wide shot, the ball is not striking the pins right. at the same place. Because you generally don't well, get a strike when you roll it right down the middle of the lane. Yes. Well, and the, it, there is a little kind of like... You know, in the in the shot following the ball heading toward the pins, you actually see it hit the pins and start to knock the pins away. When it cuts to the long shot, looking down the lane, they haven't the ball even, has right. not hit any pins yet. That's right. I didn't notice that. Yeah, they're but like... I don't... I'm not going to necessarily chop that up to something like a, a continuity error or anything like that. Or, you know, it's non-matching because it's somehow... With the rhythm, like, even though it's technically not right, I have a feeling... No, that's what you do. I mean, we'd have to recut it, but I feel like it creates a more realistic sense of flow. It does, because when you, you know, when you, you're watching this and you're cutting from one angle to the other, it's almost like, as a viewer, there's a gap of a third of a second or something. So to get in an, quote-unquote, invisible edit... I feel like you have to repeat a little bit of the reality. 
because as right. as it cuts, like it takes your mind a moment to catch up. Oh wait, I'm looking at it from another angle. So you need a right. little and bit. And it's literally more it. like it's like a frame or two. Yeah, like that's all it really is. Yeah, it's like four frames maybe, but it's enough to where because if you didn't and you just cut to where the like the ball had already knocked down three or four pins, it would seem jarring. It would just Probably. seem weird, like, oh, we cut to a bunch of pins. Yeah. Like, because it's so close to so far. Yeah. It just, it seems smoother. And the timing of the whole thing. Now, um, I don't even want to mention this, but um, this is distressing. And I wonder if, so this bowler fella of ours, he is an older gentleman. What'd you say? Somewhat older. Not ancient or anything, but... No. 60s? I don't think so. Well, okay. In this shot, you can't really see his face or tell. Right, I think at the right, end, no. when you get a better look, if it is the same guy, he just, I would say he's more like mid to late 40s. But anyway. Well, so if you go to just two or three seconds into this minute, and we already talked about this, but look at his shoes. He's wearing white, non-house shoes. They're his own shoes. Yes. Now, cut to the wide shot from behind him. Look at his shoes. This is not the same fella. He's wearing different shoes. Unless he changes his shoes in the space of four frames, which would be one-sixth of a second. Is it a... uh... It's yeah. it's not an exposure thing. It's not like different sides because we can see both sides of the shoes here. I think they couldn't use that fella because he couldn't do that kick. Okay, you need to kick your leg out like you're excited. It's like, well, I'm a little uncomfortable doing that. I might fall over. I'm old, don't you know? Yeah, I hate to say it, but doesn't matter. It doesn't. What if it's just not the same guy? It's not the same guy. It's just not. Well, I mean, it's not. But what if it's never even supposed to? They're not even trying to like pull not one even over in, on us, right? Not even. This is a montage it. of bowling. Bowling. This is a different, different guy, different shot. Khaki, I thought it was the same guy. Khaki pants, cutting right on the hit, pretty much. I think the intention is it's the same guy. Like, here's a little scene within a scene where this guy gets a strike. I do believe yeah. that's the intention. It's very You're probably right. I'm digging subjective. for excuses, but... I think they just yep. had... They shoes, probably, shoes don't match. They spent probably a day or two just shooting bowling shots, you know? And it's like, you know what? Shoes don't match, but he's wearing khakis, and he's got this great reaction. We just need to use it. Nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to see that. Only a real asshole is going to point that out. That's what I would do. Exactly. <laughs> I'm now, looking at these shoes again. Yeah. They're all white. The heel doesn't have anything no, on it's it. No, everything. You see him kick his foot out. Completely yeah, white. Yep. Just not the same guy. Not the same shoes. No. Different shoes without a doubt. And I think... Now, stay with me, but when you cut to this guy, 
Normally a bowler will kind of stay in their stance as the ball, you know, travels and right. boom, strike. <clears throat> when we cut back to this fella, he is up on his right leg with his left leg. The ball has barely touched the pins now, just starting to touch the pin. He's already kicking out his left leg to celebrate the strike. He doesn't even know if it's going to be a strike yet. Oh, he knows. They can tell. Oh, uh, I don't know. It didn't hit pure to me. It didn't hit pure. But he can tell. He's special. Yeah, you're you're digging for excuses. Again, I think they had Mr. Professional roll that and then get out of the way. And this, the kicker come in. He got hired to be the kicker. He came in and did the celebratory kick. He's like a like a pinch kicker. And that would explain why his shoes are different, number one, and number two, why he's not in his stance. Well, if they were going to And number three, why why he's already kicking and it hasn't even it's not even a strike yet. Yeah. But if they were like, okay, we need to bring another guy in, I think they would have actually taken more care to make sure he matched. I think it's just more like they had a bunch of footage of dudes rolling balls. Let's cut it together. They mix and match two different guys because it looked good. And oh, well, that's it. There's no way you end up on your right leg, though. No, I, I, I understand. I, I uh, Yes, completely right. I mean, I think... Oh, well, you're saying, like, no one would end up on that leg. No one would end up on that leg with the toe, his right toe, pointing perpendicular, or parallel, sorry, parallel to the foul line, perpendicular to the lane. Like, as the ball, before the ball has even struck the pins, he's already up, and he has turned his body. Like, he's just not in the right position. Maybe they had a device that shot the ball, the ball down the lane. Because this guy is not, he's not, he just doesn't strike the right pose here. He's not in the right position. Now, if we... I don't know. There's, there's a lot of weird bowling techniques, though. I'm not going to argue that. That is for sure. But one thing they have in common is they've established this fella as a right-handed bowler. So your left foot is going to be toe pointing towards the pins everything else may be up for grabs but this fella is on his right foot already and and way over on the side like his foot is in the gutter practically just how would you you know why his foot's over there because they had to have a device to shoot it down the center of the thing and then get it out of the way. And then he comes walking in and kicks his leg. Or the device is back. Well, you know how they have, what's it? Like the, uh, for the, kids. Yeah, the They roll the ramp. ball down that they ramp. The ramp, yeah. But that doesn't. I mean, the ramp. Produce strikes. Really produce strikes. Often. That is true. Right. Well. Although, if you look at this, it's the ball is not hitting. It does kind of hit. Nah, kicks that front pin out too aggressively. But it does just go straight in. It's not coming in at an angle like a professional bowler where they have that spin and it then zooms in from the side. It is just going straight down. 
So maybe they Could just these... did it 20 times with the ramp and he kicked every time and they just got one that happened to strike. Could these be CGI pins? I don't think so. I just, I don't think so. I don't think so either, but... There's so much shit, like, you would... This is 98, you know? Even in 98, there was a lot of... A lot of anomalies and kind of shittiness to CGI, and it's just not that kind of movie. Yeah. And if you look at the... No, the you're, you're probably correct. The Brunswick thing comes down, it's obscuring them. The amount of money it would have cost to do that, they're like, nah, we just do it 20 times at the ramp, throw it really hard, and get this guy to come in and kick it. The in-camera they do are... do a lot of... They do some effects in this movie. They like do. blatant effects. And right? they're they're blatantly CGI. Even I remember even watching them in 98, they didn't look that great. Just because it's not that kind of movie. They didn't spend the money. That's not where they put their money. You're talking about him flying yeah. on the magic carpet. Yeah, or more... Or I'm thinking about even in, like, the Gutter Balls dream sequence. Right, a lot of, right. like... That one's you a know, little he better. He like but... floats. He's like tiny in the ball True. return or whatever. Right, going underneath the women's legs and spinning around. Although that could have been practical. I don't know. Yeah, that that might have been. But yeah, yeah, I don't think that may have been a computer generated effect. Tiny. Even some of the other things, I'm not sure how they. I'm looking I, forward I, yeah, to that's that. That's a topic for a whole other episode. But yeah, there's gonna be a lot there to sink our. Yeah, that uh, that tiny in the ball return because his reflection is there in the ball. You can see his reflection as the ball comes to like he gets into the finger hole. You see him reflected in the surface of the bowling ball. It's pretty intense. Do you think they just built a giant bowling ball and actually <laughs> stuck him into the finger hole? Maybe. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past these crazy bastards. There's something else I want to discuss here. And we've like tip not tiptoed around it, but we've we've sort of been like pecking at the the rims of it like all around the edges the edges of this thing. And it's this it goes back to the chrome and sort of old-timey font. I found something interesting when I was doing research for this episode, and it is something called, and tell me if you've ever heard of it, it's called, I hope I pronounced this right, but it's called Googie Architecture. Okay. Have nope. you heard, have you heard of, any bells. <laughs> have you heard of Googie Architecture? Apparently not. Googie Architecture. Googie. G is I and I thought it was because my eyes aren't what they used to be. I thought they were saying Google architecture. I kept seeing Google architecture. Right. It was G O O G I E Googie architecture, and it's this Googie architecture maybe. Maybe it's Googie, but it's two O's. It's it's this atomic age sort of like the future as envisioned by nineteen fifties architects sort of uh, aesthetic. And that's what we see this in the bowling alley. The bowling alley itself is an example of googie architecture, and the titles are reflecting this. Now you can see it 
in the background, if you go to, so there's the shot of the Jesus's partner as he takes his shot, uh, whatever this fella's name is. He's got the green bowling ball. Oh, and if you look, you can see the ring where he has not cleaned his ball off. Yes, yes, I did notice that. You mentioned the whole the spin and oil the, on the, the ball. Ring. Yep. I mean, like I've certainly never seen oil. Well, let me just say it, it, it. That's just disgusting. Yeah, it's nasty. It just looks. It just looks disgusting. Bowling is nasty. You're handling these balls like people are yeah. putting their hands all over the balls. Well, it's just, theoretically, you're using your own ball, right? If you're on this level as these guys. I'm talking when but, I went bowling last week. Right. It was disgusting. Yes. And then you have right. to get the fries. And it's like, now yes. I have to, I'm like putting a napkin around my hand, eating the fries with the napkin because I don't want to, I have to keep getting up to bowl and I don't want to go wash my hands. Right. Every time. I can't put a napkin on the bowling ball. To, uh, you could just put your mouth directly to the plate and suck the fries, and that's what I do. Yeah, but I want to dip it in the ketchup. I had wings, you know. I can't do that uh, with a wing. So, what's even this? So, I mean, yes, putting your hands in the bowling ball, then touching your food is gross. But <laughs> then you can go, and your hands have wing sauce and french fry grease. And it, pizza grease. Well, and you pick up the ball and put your greasy hands in there. <laughs> well, it's covered in oil and then anyway. You go and stick them in again. Yeah. I mean, that's what, well, that's exactly what that's this the oil. Is. That's the oil. It, it's folks, French fry grease the, and wing grease all yeah. over the lane. Yeah. And you're just like soaking yeah. so your this, ball in other people's yeah. food grease. Right. So this guy with the greasy ball, he's the Jesus' partner. Is I believe not? so. Yeah, I believe he is. He so looks if, like the same guy. He has yeah. the little, the cool little, like, 1980s watch. Yeah. Yeah, he's all right, you know? Digital he's, watch. Yep, he's married. He has his, yeah, he has that greasy ball. Now, bowling, I've never noticed the ball to be greasy. Maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention. Maybe when you're not, again, league night, professionals, act, you know, they need this precision. Maybe the lanes just aren't greased. I think they really lube the lanes up on a league night. You know, yeah. this is league play. We are greasing the shit out of these things. But this, he really should have cleaned this thing off because he's not getting pure spin if he hasn't cleaned it off. Um, and just a quick thing. Do you notice how as he does his backswing, his hand is on top of the ball. I, I always try to like, have my hand under the ball. Maybe that's why I suck so bad. Under the ball. Yeah, yeah I like, see what you're saying. Like, like I cup the ball from underneath. Well, that's what he's doing. What the hell his are we talking are about? <laughs> no, but look as he does his backswing, though. As he goes, they're underneath. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Backswing. And see then... how he turns? And that's how he gets the spin. Yeah, and he gets the spin. And his ball is spinning like crazy. Yeah, oh, he's definitely When I bowl, I can get a weird spin sometimes. I don't really know how I do it. It's, it's a, kind of more like a frame of mind I get in, but like I yeah. can sometimes get that spin going and I can hit it at that angle. And it's a weird, I'm sure, you know, I've never. It's very mystic. It, yeah. It's very mystic. And I think that's what appeals to the dude about bowling. Yeah, I mean, I almost like, Mysticism it's something like, it I don't follow through with my hand in the swing. I kind of stop it short and let the ball just kind of catapult off my fingers. But it's very, but it's like subtle. It's a, but it's that difference. I can tell before the ball even hits the ground if I did it right or not. You're like that space visitor in the movie Critters who 
ends up in the bowling alley and is wondering what's going on and just projects the ball directly down into the pins. It doesn't even touch the lane. It just goes through the air and destroys them. They all explode. Well, I, I've done that too. I've just thrown the bowling ball <laughs> overhand across the bowling alley and actually broke the pins in half. Of course you have. You're a giant beastly man. This is all getting off top. I wanted to point out, so the Jesus' partner, he throws his nicely spinning, oily, green bowling ball, which, what is that? Oh, it's a Rhino, Rhino Pro bowling ball. But as he gets up and we we are treated to a, a profile shot of his midsection, we're obviously indicating this is not a healthy man. He's not a fit man. And I guess that's the stereotype, right? Bowlers are not generally fit or athletic. And these, right. these pants of his, what kind of pants are that? Where do I get pants like that? Can you tell me? <laughs> I don't know. I always think those pants are somehow part of his success. Like the way it supports his back and abdomen is necessary. Girth. Yeah, like they're they're so smooth and tight around his belly. And it's got the extra button there, like the flap. Is that of the button. extra button going on? I know. No belt. Well, it's like you know. No belt. How the? No, you don't need one, man. With those. Really? Well, that's what that's I'm wanting. The extra button. Huh? There's multiple buttonholes for that. Multiple. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not. But it's like the thing the dudes like in Home Depot wear. I have to lift stuff. I have to wear like that back brace, right? Yeah. So these are special like support. These are his pants. bowling. Something has to support his gut from jiggling right and left, you know, throwing him off balance. Yeah. Yeah. The ball's already dynamically imbalanced. We don't need to add more imbalance to the equation. Got to support exactly. that thing. That's exactly what it does. It removes the variable because I think, you know, trying to come up with some system, the understanding, you know, the motion of the, the guts there and everything, it's just not going to really happen. Well, and that probably fluctuates by too much five to ten pounds, you know, so what then you're constantly yeah. in this this like never ending process. I of, mean, he might like, have just eaten three lobsters before coming to the alley. Yeah. Secure that. How, secure how that your man. Figure? Lieutenant, secure your man. So that's what those pants do. That wasn't my point in bringing this shot up. If you look behind him, you can see this, this blue fading to a lighter blue, like star sort of mm -hmm. pattern behind him. This is yes. an example of the Googie or Gogi architecture that we see in the titles. And Goji. Goji? Goji berries? No, I don't know. There's okay. a lot. There's just a lot of ways this thing could be pronounced. We'll see, anyway. it, we'll see it later, though, outside the bowling alley. And I, I researched this. This bowling alley actually is a famous one. It is um, it's called the Hollywood Star Lanes. Um, it's since been demolished, unfortunately, in 2002, um, according to Wikipedia, to make way for an elementary school of, quote, eye-numbing ugliness. But we see the exterior of the Hollywood star lanes later on in the movie. 
I don't want to have too many spoilers, but there's a scene where it fades to black, and all we're left seeing are these stars and, like, starbursts. Everything else fades away, but the neon of the exterior of the building remains. And this is Googie Goji Gogi architecture. There's a whole website dedicated. If you go to u-r-here.com slash googie gogi goji, there's a list of just sites that sort of invoke this googie uh, aesthetic. But the point is, it was, um, you know, 40s, 50s, even maybe late 30s. So there's more like Raymond Chandler type stuff, like it's throwing back to a different era. But, you know, it didn't last. It's just sort of this atomic age stuff. And what really hits me about that, though, and none of this ties together, and I'm okay with that, but I read a story. I was in college. One of my favorite classes in college was this science fiction class. All we did was read science fiction novels. One of the novels we read was Burning Chrome by William Gibson. And he had a story, a short story in that book called um, The the Gernsback Continuum? The Gernsback... Gernsback something. Gernsback. What was the name of the story? <sighs> okay, now I have to search. William Gibson earns back. Yeah, the Gurns back continuum. So this was a short story where it was a poor fella and I'm going to get a so now I'll be pissing off uh, avid, you know, readers of science fiction. But from yes. what I can remember, piss piss off the cyberpunk crowd. The cyberpunk, the Johnny Mnemonics of the world. Exactly. Uh, another Gibson short story. Uh, incidentally, but this story was a po- unfortunate. I have another podcast where I analyze that movie minute by minute. <laughs> where do you find the time? This this fellow though was plagued by visions of the future. But they were like visions of the future, and they would manifest themselves. Like he would be driving down a highway in Los Angeles, but he'd be driving down an eighty-lane highway, or he'd look up into the sky and see like a, f- a flying city, like that was an aircraft. It was a city on the top of just a wing, just flying through the air. So he's plagued by these visions of the future, but as imagined by people in the 40s and 50s and that's what these titles and sort of this googie googie architecture are are reminiscent of it's a in like an alternate universe almost like starting at a point 
this is what the future is going to be like. Obviously, reality diverges from that. But yeah, it's like a, like a tandem right. alternate reality. Right. Well, and now it all looks like old. Just old, right? Yeah, that's old. the funny thing about the whole thing. This is what I imagine 2012 to be, and we look at that our our tandem reality, and it just looks old. Well, it's what they imagine like the year 1980 to look like, <laughs> right? Flying and cars and really 1960s look that way. So <laughs> the future comes quicker than you think. I it, think is what it it does is it, what it comes down to, and it changes, but not that much, and in different ways than you would expect, I guess. Here's one for the continuity books. As much as I hate to do it, I just have to do it. Um, well, maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Our, our fella at the beginning, our professional bowler, we see into the back. And I was going to say that it's nighttime outside, but I think we're looking into the arcade behind him not to the exterior. Because then later on, when we see the Jesus' partner, Bull, it is clearly daytime. Nope, not him. The next fella, this portly African-American gentleman with the uh, backwards beret. Up. Oh. Daytime outside. Yep. But, okay. But I, I don't, that's not... We can't clearly see the door in any of the other shots. But I want to point out what a disparate group this gentleman is growing, bull, bull, growing? bowling with. More contrast. You know, the movie's all about contrast. But look at this, this portly African-American fella. Uh, some white lady, some older white lady. Uh, uh, Gentlemen of, I don't know, somewhere in Latin America, maybe Mexican, I don't know, they're in L.A., and then some white dude. Like, that's a, you know, mixed bag of folks to be found on a Sunday afternoon bowling in right. Los Angeles, you know? You wouldn't expect those people to be, you know, th throwing rocks. Well, bowling, bowling bring, brings, you know, people together, really, they normally wouldn't wouldn't expect I suppose it does. I mean, even if you look at, well, you know, even but so even if you look at like so like you know the league with the dude, right? You have like the dude Walter Donnie. They're a team. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, they all kind of relate somehow, and then I'm thinking there's Smokey. They're all are kind of these weird people who don't aspire to much. Sixties. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. People who have never kind of aspired weird, like... to much. Now, this this African American gentleman with the backwards beret is really trying to influence his throw, and from what I can tell, he does a pretty damn good job. And the fellow behind him on his team is getting into it too. Boom, he, and he gets the dreaded 7-10 split. I know what that is. That's when you have the two pins that are all the way in the back on either side. 
So your first throw knocks everything down except the two all the way in the back on the sides. And it's not impossible, but nearly impossible to get this. We have to do it just right. And this fella gets it. You got it. He and can it, school us all on how to do it. Yeah, and if you look at the ball, like his bowling ball is in the gutter when it hits the pin. Like it's bouncing around in the gutter. And it just kicks the edge of that seven pin. And it flies over, boom, and knocks that ten. He is very excited about that, I'm sure. He saved a spare there. That's what you have when you accept problem more montage stuff he's throwing what color is his bowling ball when we see it when we see him throw it his ball it's a red like a bright red maybe even orange kind of let's see him. red orange let's see when he picks up this 710 split whoopsies oops green green Green. Green. Oh, green. But, you know, like we said, they just had mountains of bowling footage, and they're just piecing it together into a nice montage. not going to sit here and judge him for that. But again, the shot after that, so after he gets the 710 split, we have this beautiful... And I remember watching this footage and being like, this is the most beautiful bowling footage I've ever seen. It's really borderline amazing. Like tracking along with these balls like this. So I'm looking at the shot now where they're following the ball from the side as it goes down the lane. And it's, you know, it goes kind of forward and back and then they catch up to it. It's really an awesome shot. I really love it. But in the background... I mean, it's like the ball starts the edge toward the edge, but then the tracker, yeah, then the camera they, goes Yeah, they catch faster. up. Yeah, they catch up. And again, this is another example of having just a pretty much what looks like a straight spin. If you There's an element on the ball, like a white, I don't really know if it's elliptical or if it's a circle, if that's just it changing, but it looks like it's in pretty much the same position as it rolls down. Well... Well, it's, the rate in which it's spinning changes drastically, though. And you know what? It does get a little tighter. The, the circle gets a little tighter that that element on the ball is creating. So maybe this wasn't our professional. Although we saw a similar defect in his throw. We call it a defect. It's what you're supposed to do. But I imagine he's just trying to throw it straight down the lane. But we saw it, you know, the first shot that he did, it kind of started to veer towards the side in that first bowling shot where it's coming um, straight towards the camera, where you pointed it out. Just as just before we cut, it starts to go to the left. So this looks like it's doing a similar thing. It, it can make it about halfway, two-thirds of the way, but then it starts to spin and be affected. Anyway, Does, in the background, well, though, real quick, in the background is more of that goji, gogi, googi architecture with these, like, sunbursts and flares. You can see it on mm -hmm. the back wall there. Yeah. Well, and they were, they were seen in in our last minute also, the Big Lebowski, and then those yeah, right. star-like designs show up. Yes, exactly. Which clearly very intentional. Like, this is 
sort of just something you see in this part of LA. You know, probably if you live there, you see it all the time. Gas stations, coffee shops, bowling alleys, obviously, diners, maybe. But you know, I don't, you know, I don't right. see that well, a lot. Well, it's probably a dying breed. Even at the time when this movie was made, it was probably dying out. Yeah, nobody's doing this, this anymore. Was... Unless I mean, it's imagining... like a yeah. throwback. Right, and things are getting replaced and refinished, remodeled, so. Except for their ad on their score sheets. for <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> but I'm just saying in LA and in general, though, those things are happening, yeah. right? So this is, you know, the Coen Bars have an idea to make a little, include I, what I think is a little bit of a love letter to this, right. these designs. I like that. That's beautiful. Or maybe right? they're just making fun of it. I don't know. I don't think so. I think, I mean, did they grow up there? Do we know that? Where'd the Coens grow up? I can Let's hear you typing. Up. Good thing you're going to look it up. While you're doing that, I also want to point out that as I'm paused on this shot where we see the ball from the side rolling down the lane and we're tracking with it. Beautiful shot. And they're, they're allowing the ball to go forward a little bit so that they have room for this title. And the title is of our, our man, the musical archivist, T-Bone Burnett. I just wanted to point that out. He gets a what I think is one of the most beautiful frames of the movie. How how did they manage that camera movement and that framing? Uh, like, was there someone running, keeping up with the ball? Like, oh, I gotta hurry. It's, it's going too quick. I gotta go quicker. Oh. I can't answer that. I because <clears throat> I, I, I meant to just. You know, some kind of dollar platform right on the other adjacent bowling lane. and But the speed, like to catch up to it and then like adjust on the fly like that. Maybe it's yeah. just they, you do it 20 times, 100 times, and that's what happens. It's monkeys typing for 200 years, you know. They probably wanted it to be perfect, you know, perfectly on the third there. But they just couldn't. It's impossible. So this is maybe the best take they had. I don't know. Ethan and Joel Cohen grew up in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, a suburb of Minneapolis. Minneapolis. <laughs> Mini, Minneapolis. Mini, Minneapolis. Mini, Minneapolis. 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 That is in the state of Minnesota. State as of what? I already have said. Minnesota. State of California. State of confusion. Their father was an economist at the University of Minnesota, and their mother, an art historian at St. Cloud State University. Economists can't trust those guys, you know. Just, just kidding, just kidding, everybody. You can trust him. Yes. T Bone Burnett. His name is T-Bone, and he likes to be called T-Bone. That's his name. Yep. T-Bone. That's a good name, you know. If you're going to the business of uh, music, Ar archival sciences, <laughs> you'll go far with a name like T-Bone. 
You'll get jobs where others would only dream of getting jobs, I think. Who are we going to hire? We got, uh, we're down to two. It's, uh, you know, Jim Forsyth or T-Bone Burnett. Huh. I think the choice is clear. Huh. He has his own website, tboneburnett.com. Yeah, I've looked at it. He's d- to get updates on all things T-Bone. Subscribe, you buddy. Enter email address right there. He'll send you some emails, that fella. I imagine him like this, uh, like Tom Waits type character. Like, gra- like barely can eke out intelligible syllables from so much smoking and like hard living. His name's T-Bone. Yeah. Well, he has produced the album The Hunger Games, Songs from District 12 and Beyond. That is a piece of information that I was not aware of. He produced the album The Hunger Games. Okay. Is that endorsed by the the producers of the film? Yes, it looks like my it, it looks like it is a um Well, here it says produced by T-Bone. The album features 17 brand new and exclusive tracks by many of music's top artists who've drawn from themes embodied in the Hunger Games story to craft their songs. Music's top artists. Yes. Music. (laughs) These are not sculptors, Adam, making a CD. That would just be ridiculous. What would it, you know. Or it could be awesome. I don't know. Might the sounds of sculpting. By T-Bone Burnett. No, these are yes. these belong to music. You know, I called music the other day and was like, Hey music, what up? It's just weird. Music's top artists. <laughs> right. Mu- they, I don't know how to describe that. It's music's top artists. This is an entity. Music. I don't like it. Like the Taylor phrase, Swift maybe. featuring the Civil Wars, safe and sound. <laughs> it just got worse. I didn't think that was possible. The Carolina Chocolate Drops, Daughter's Lament. <laughs> Daughter's Lament. Maroon 5 featuring Rosie Crane. Did you see? Come it? away to the water. Now, did you see The Hunger Games? I did not see The Hunger Games, no. Did you read the book? I did not. I have a 10-year-old in the house. the book either. I read the book. You know, I just, I just do. So, again, this is a topic for another episode, but I just, in researching a little bit about the man and me, I couldn't help but stumble on the fact that T-Burn Burnett, again, musical archivist, was in charge of like securing the rights to all the music for the movie and apparently he had a really hard time uh securing the rights to towns van zant's cover and this is what i was trying to remember earlier of the rolling stones dead flowers so the song's dead flowers this is the last song in the movie it brings us into the credits with our professional bowling gentleman Hitting the strike, cutting the black. It's Dead Flowers, originally by the Rolling Stones, but they wanted the Towns Van Sant cover of it. He couldn't do it. He wanted $150,000 for it. Burnett 
T-bone, as I call them, TB sometimes, but that's got some bad connotations. T-hole. TBB. TBB, sure. The TB network. He convinced... uh, (laughs) T-bone. He convinced the fella to watch... The boner. ...an early cut of the film. And as he recollects, and I'm getting my information from Wikipedia, but it got to the part where the dude says... I hate the fucking Eagles, man. He stands up and says, that's it, you can have the song. Walked out. No money. Didn't even charge him. Just said, you can have it, and walked out. I mean, that is probably not true, but I love it. It's a great story. I do like the Eagles. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm like the cab driver. I I like the Eagles. I'd tell them to get out of my... Well, I don't like them enough to tell them to get out of my cab. I do like the Eagles. They're all right. Look at this fella. And I just want you to notice also, so we're seeing a lot of people bowl here, front on. And if they're a right-handed bowler, their left foot is firmly planted, toe facing straight. This guy, the Jesus partner, left foot planted, toe facing straight. Uh, Our portly African-American gentleman, left foot, toe facing a little inward, but that's probably just for balance. But still, it's, you know, pretty much straight on. And then this uh, muscle shirt wearing dude, he's clearly the least experienced. He comes sliding in. He almost fouls. But he's got a... That's how I do it. I slide. You slide with your hands all splayed out in the... the, uh, I don't know what my hands do. The Bono pose has like this. That's part of the thing. Are you like a Jesus? You have a Christ complex or something? Possibly. So you come sliding in like that? I slide. So as I said before, how the ball just kind of like flies off my hand. Like not only does the ball fly off my hand, but it's my entire body slides forward. Hmm. And then the ball slides off my hand as my body stops. The ball continues going. And that is my weird technique. I'm not saying it's a good technique. I have no idea. It's just what has kind of evolved organically over time. And I can't always do it, but when that does happen, I'm like, all right, I did it. And that is how I generally get strikes. I can feel it. It's like, all right, I slid into it the right way. I have to slide. I hold, like, just like this dude with the muscle shirt, I slide. You slide into it, and it's like, ooh, I feel that ball getting all oily, rolling, sliding down the lane. Exactly. Oiled up in people's wing juices Fry grease. Mm, that's a good one there. I want to say that, so I'm parked on uh, 6 minutes 44 seconds. And this is just as our portly fellow has released his ball and he's down, crouched on one knee. Behind him, we can see there's a, a fourth member of this team or party or whatever you want to call them that we haven't really seen. Mm-hmm. Looks like you like, mean you just you can just kind of see their head poking yeah, up over it the just guy's starts arm. To, and that's either Jeff Goldblum, one of the Coens, or Adam Welch, circa nineteen ninety eight. Was I in this movie? Is that he me? might have been? Well, I thought in nineteen ninety eight you were Jeff Goldblum, right? That's, I feel stupid. That's right. 
I forgot. Disregard that. Yeah, that freaked me out for a second, but you've made it all come clear. Thank you. And if you go to the very end here of this minute after the muscle shirt guy bowls, you can see him peeking around the corner of the muscle shirt guy. Yeah, just peeking around. Just peeking around. And he has around. his, you know, blue and red bowling shoes. House shoes. House shoes with white tube socks halfway up his calf. Halfway, who wears shorts to go bowling? Apparently Jeff Goldblum and I do. Angers me. I don't like it. You wear pants. Bowling is a pants sport. It's a pants pa sport. No, you don't. I, I've been known to wear shorts bowling. Oh, I want to be. If the shorts are tight, things. if the shorts are tight, it's okay. I guess if they're like spandex style, like they have to be, like exactly, like you're like you're gonna go cycling later, like that tight. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. All right. Very I, tight. I can get behind that. Then, then you know, it gives you the support. It gives you the control. Right. No Your variables. Your legs need to feel the air a little bit. A little bit. It helps you slide into it. Slide into it. Keep streamlines things. Less air resistance. Now, very Zoffries, she doesn't do shit. You know, when you're when you're about to embark on a Mary Zoffries costume design flick. You know you're in for a treat, my friend. Just think. One word. The Jesus. Indeed. Indeed. Mary Zoffries, known for No Country for Old Men, The Big Lebowski, Fargo, Catch Me If You Can. Great costumes. She does not do shit. Costume designer, 36 titles. Telling you, if you want the Iron best... Iron Man 2. That is a movie about a costume. They got Mary yep. Zoffries to do it. Okay? I'm not joking. I'm not just make, saying words. No. She doesn't do shit. She knows what she's doing. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Not a good movie. Great good costumes, costumes, though. Great costumes. Terrible movie. The costumes might be the best only part of the thing movie. that definitely the best part. I was gonna say it might be nothing redeems the movie, of course, but no. But it's a, you. Can, there's always something that's better than the other things, and that's it. Dumb and Dumber, as well as Kingpin. So she has both major bowling films. She's covered. got a corner on the bowling film market, if you will. She does indeed. If I were to do a bowling film. You know I'd be having Mary Zoffrey's costume the Nobody shit out it. of that thing. <laughs> I I feel like what have we talked about here? Anything? Have we actually talked about anything? We talked related, about anything related to the movie though? We talked about Big Sleep. We talked about Gogli. Goji. Go Gogi. Googie. Gogi. Googie. Gogi architecture. We talked about multiple continuity errors. Well, depending we on your take things. on it. I guess we hit some things. We hit a few things. But you know this is might have been the 
even though it has some pretty impressive bowling shots. This is somehow, might be so far, minute seven is the most uninteresting, unremarkable minute of the film so far. Even the first minute, the Universal logo, tumbleweeds, like there's even some more there to grab onto. I suppose. Those just have the man in me. It's got the man in me and Mary Zoffries and T-Bone Burnett. So, and oily bowling balls. Oily balls. Just the thought of oily balls. There's no way to, like, phrase it that makes it sound okay. <sighs> we going to call it? I mean... What Let's else? call it. What else Put you it got? It's misery. Just Let's end it. End this thing. Just end it. End it. Excelsior, my friend. Although the Hollywood Star Lanes were built in 1962, ah. then cool and futuristic, googie style of Sputniks, ellipses, and starbursts. Sputniks. What's a Sputnik? I know the spacecraft, but. What else is a Sputnik? A Sputnik-like shape. <laughs> All right, we're done. Enough of this. Enough of this. Well, I'm saying a Sputnik. It's like a ball, but it has like little antennas and stuff coming off it. It's like those kind of things. Sputnik-like shape. <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh, I see. Oh. Okay. Right. The. <laughs> It's like Cosmos, you know, with the... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sure. Sputnik-like shape. Sure. It's one of the more obscure shapes, granted. It's you know. not easily drawn compared to other shapes. Right. Not usually covered in kindergarten. No. It's, this is Although in some third, advanced courses, they do touch on it. If you're in advanced kindergarten, you, they might... Um, you know. It's like, all right, you've heard about the squares and the triangles. Now let's... I'm going to lay the Sputnik on you. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> Alright. Let's poop deck this buster. We are going to hit the deck and poop on it. Beep! Beep! Next time on Gutter Balls. Yeah, man, it really tied the room together. So this was a value dog. Yeah. What tied the room together, dude? My rug. Were you listening to the dude's story, Donnie? We're actually going to get to the triumvirate, the holy trinity here. <laughs>